الحمد لله وكفى والسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى أما بعض فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والذين جاهدوا فينا لنهدينهم سبلنا سبحان ربك رب العزة أما يصفون والسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم Over the past few weeks we've been speaking about uh, making the intention and subsequent pledge in order to rectify our lives and to make amends for the mistakes that we make. We spoke about the pledge that a person can make which is called the Bayah of Tawbah which in which a person makes an intention to seek forgiveness for their past mistakes and just as importantly makes an intention to avoid future mistakes and we said that that pledge has varying degrees of intensity there are times in our lives when we build up so much filth that eventually the dam breaks and we sit down and we recognize that we need to make a change and we need to make that change as soon as possible and that because of what we've done in the past we have great remorse that doesn't happen every day that happens on occasion and a person is very fortunate if they can come to that conclusion because it allows for them to make a true and sincere tawbah in their heart and often allows them to begin life anew. In my experience, it happens a few, time in, a few times in people's lives. It tends to happen as they begin to mature. So classically, you'll see that it happens in you know, college-age students, for example. And it also happens when a person reaches midlife and when they begin to think about what they've done with their lives and how they spent their time. And it also happens to occur when a person approaches their grave. On a normal lifespan, when a person approaches their grave, they begin to think, my grave is not far and there is only a limited amount of time left on this planet and I really didn't spend my time the way I should have, and so now I need to make amends. So these are the few times, these are just examples, I'm not saying that we're restricted to these times, but these are the few times when, these, when this type of notion of changing one's life and making amends for their past mistakes tends to arise. That's the greatest intensity of this circumstance. We also talked about the fact that at a lower level, at a lower level of intensity, but sometimes just as powerful, we should use each day to renew our desire to approach our Lord and to make amends for the mistakes that we have made. 
like I said last week, every time the sun sets and becomes dark, it's a blessing for us because it means that sleep is near and sleep is the sister of death. Sleep is the sister of death. When a person goes to sleep, their soul is removed. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala often, for the most part, there will be exceptions, but for the most part, returns that soul to us and we awake almost as if we're born again. It means that each day is a new opportunity. Each day is a new opportunity. So when we wake in the morning, we should see it as a new opportunity. We should have the energy that exists when a person's given a new opportunity. The example I gave last week, when a person starts a new semester at school, they're extremely excited because now there's no grades. It's an opportunity to, to get straight A's. When a person moves and joins a new institution or gets a new job or moves to a new city, a person tends to get very excited because now it's an opportunity to begin anew, to start life all over again. And human beings, they desire this. They desire to have an opportunity to restart their lives. And this is something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has bestowed upon each and every person that every single day is a new opportunity. We should be grateful for it, but more importantly, we should take advantage of it. Each day we should wake up and we should have in our mind a plan of what we want to accomplish. Each day we should wake up and we should have a plan in our mind for what we want to accomplish. We want to establish our routine. We want to bring joy to other people's lives. We want to bring smiles to our children's faces. We want to get to know the neighbor better. Whatever it might be. We should have a plan and a very determined intention of what we want to accomplish, and we should aim for it, and we should aim high. That is the actual summation of all of suluk. All of spiritual development is summated on this. Why? Because spiritual development is not about an hour or a minute or a day or even a week. Spiritual development is about a life. It is not a sprint. It is a marathon. There's a difference. In a sprint, you run as fast as you can, as quickly as you can, knowing that the race will be over in the blink of an eye. It's for short distances. A marathon, you pace yourself. You know, I have to run this many miles, and I have to run it in this much time, and I have this much energy, and this is my best time in the past, and this is how I need to do this in order to achieve the goal. Life is not a sprint. You, deen, the deen is not a sprint. The deen is a marathon. A person has to achieve the goals of deen over an extended period of time. And this is something that we need to understand. It doesn't happen in a week. It doesn't happen in a month. It doesn't happen in a year. It happens over a lifetime. And so what that means is that each day we have to have an intention of what is our pace going to be. <coughs> Now, like I said in a previous couple of weeks back, there is a routine that we normally assign in order for people to be able to achieve their goal. This was the routine that our Mashiach have assigned, and this is the routine that we assign, and it's based on very, very simple concepts, which all Muslims should be doing anyway, like I mentioned before. The first and foremost, and I want to make this very clear, 
The first and foremost is that there needs to be a concerted and consistent and regular and deep interaction with the Qur'an. So if I had to make a list, this is 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Qur'an, Qur'an, Qur'an. If I had to make a ranking, 98% Qur'an. Everything else comes after that. Like I've said in the past, Qur'an is the meal, everything else is the condiment. Qur'an is the meal, everything else is the condiment. So we, if we truly want to develop spiritually, and we want to achieve our goals, and we want to achieve a proximity to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and we want to make amends for our past mistakes and be able to create strength in ourselves and shield in ourselves to be able to approach Allah, then it has to be that there is a concerted, consistent, deep, regular interaction with the Qur'an. There's no way around it. There's no way around it. I, I mean, I, like I said, there's no magic wand that somebody just taps, some fairy comes and taps on the top of everyone's head and all of a sudden everything magically improves. The Qur'an is the secret of this deen, it's the power of this deen, it is the source of this deen, it is the greatest blessing of this deen, it is a miracle of this deen, it is something that we should regularly and consistently interact with. Now, that interaction has many dimensions to it. That's what I want to talk about today. That interaction has many dimensions to it, but I just want to make it very clear that the discussion begins by remembering that we must always put the Qur'an on top, and that that is an essential interaction for a person to be able to benefit. Now, what are the ang- what are the different spheres? The first and foremost is obvious. It's the regular recitation of Quran in the Arabic language. That's the deepest cons- direct effort, the interaction that a person can have. So that means that every day, each of us should spend a period of time, and like I've mentioned in the past, ideally twenty minutes, reading the Quran. Now, some people, that means that they could probably recite a juz. I mean, there's a, there are huffas in the room that they just can recite one juz in 20 minutes. And for some people, it might mean that they're reciting three lines because they have to break up the letters and slowly enunciate the vowels in order to be able to get to the next word. It, that's not the issue. It's not about the volume. It's about the effort. So every single day, there needs to be a regular 20-minute effort, at least, minimum, 20-minute effort towards the Qur'an. This is something that all of us should put on our priority list. That's one way by which we interact with the Qur'an. Another way by which we interact with the Qur'an is to attend the salah in the masjid. When When we attend the salah in the masjid, the imam recites Qur'an. And when the imam recites Qur'an, we are being bathed in the Qur'an. It is an interaction of, with, with the Qur'an. So that's another way by which a person can interact with the Qur'an. Another way is to listen to the Qur'an. That's another way. Another way is to engage in study of the Qur'an. So we may uh, find within our community people who are able to teach how to properly enunciate the letters of the Qur'an, how to properly recite and extend the vowels of the Qur'an, how to properly elongate the various um, letters of the Qur'an. 
So this is something that all of us should engage in because it's another uh, facet of interaction. And it's a way by which we empower our, ourselves by being able to improve our recitation. When we can do something easily, we're more likely to do it. If it's something that we just don't get, it's very hard to do, even if it's a struggle. The person who does well in high school math is the one who was working on math since kindergarten. Why? Because they've been doing it every day, and they slowly develop some skill. And eventually they enjoy it. But without having a base, it's very difficult to get to that point where someone would enjoy something. So this is some this is a, like a like a thing that we this is a dimension in which we need to train ourselves that we should make a concerted effort to improve our recitation of Quran because it's by making an effort towards improvement that we eventually get to the point where we enjoy it. So we should isolate the people in the community who have this skill. We should spend time in their company. We should join the gatherings where this uh, science is taught and we should engage in the Quran in this way as well. It's another example. Another way by which we engage in the, with the Quran is to listen to our scholars explicate the Quran. It's a very powerful way by which we gain an attachment to the Quran because the scholars who have the knowledge of the Quran and how to explicate the Quran and particularly how to make it re- relate to us in our lives, in our daily experiences, in our lives, that brings a whole new light to the Quran. It just shines. It it make it shines the it shines a light on the Quran in an angle that just makes it eye catching for us. You know when they, when they when you go to a, a museum and they have a display. Let's say that you go to a museum and they're displaying the shoes of the people of six uh, hundred years ago. They don't just put the shoe in a on a on a stand. They put the shoe on a stand and they shine a light on it. And by shining the light on that shoe, it gives it that much more appeal. And it draws that much more attention to it. So when the light of knowledge is is shined on the Quran, then a person gets that it becomes that much more appealing towards a person. So it's another way by which a person can interact with the Quran by joining the gatherings where people are explicating and and relating the Quran to our lives. Another way by which we benefit from and interact with the Quran is to spend time in the company of the people who have cloaked themselves in the Qur'an. And this is a really important angle by which we interact with the Qur'an, actually. By which we interact and we cause interaction. Rasulullah had many, many angles to him, each amazing and unique and very, very special in their own way. But when Hazrat Aisha radiallahu anha summarized the Prophet in a sentence, she summarized him as being the Quran walking on the earth. Like the Quran walking on the earth. So what does that mean? It means that Rasulullah embodied the Quran in every way, shape, and form. So that when people saw him, they were actually reminded of the Qur'an. And when they looked at him, it was as if they were reading the Qur'an. Because all of the themes of the Qur'an, the message of the Qur'an, the reality of the Qur'an, the depth of the Qur'an, the effect of the Qur'an was, was just was, was the Prophet 
So all the people who spent time around him, in essence, every moment they were sitting with him, they were essentially benefiting from Qur'an. That's what the sunnah is. When a person carries the sunnah, I mean, when, when we emulate Rasulullah when we try to copy his every move and action, we're copying the man who basically was, who had contextualized the Qur'an as a human. Who had contextualized the Qur'an in the, in the, in the context of its revelation. And when he's then when people sat with him, they benefited tremendously. Now, there were many, many, many people in the community at that time who didn't even want to recite Qur'an. They didn't even want to see the Qur'an. They didn't even want to hear the Qur'an. But just the mere interacting with him forced them to interact with the Qur'an. And it created a huge change in, in, in the people and eventually led to the entire community becoming the community upon whose shoulders we stand. Now, why, is this, why do I emphasize this? Because in this day and age... It's very. It's going to be very difficult to get people to read. There, there's a subset of people who are just not going to read Quran, and they exist both in and outside of the deen. So within the deen, for example, within our own families, we often say, "I wish I had. I had. A, I wish I have a desire to change my um, nephew. I wish that I could benefit my nephew. I wish that I could uh, get get my nephew on on the right path." But what are you going to do? You can go to your nephew and say, you should do this and this and this and this and this, and they're just going to get sick of you. They're not interested. They're not, they're, they're not going to want to hear a lecture from us. But if we inculcate the Qur'an, and we emulate the Qur'an, we recite it, we develop a relationship with it, we bring it into our hearts, we attach ourselves with depth, we become affected by it, then we will emanate that Qur'an wherever we go. And then every time our nephew interacts with us, our nephew will in essence be interacting with the Quran. So we become the conduit, we become the bridge, we become the interface, let's put it that way. We become the interface by which a whole group of people that would have never been able to benefit from the Quran can actually benefit. People should actually interact with us and they should say, where did you learn that? How come you're so calm no matter what goes wrong? How come you don't worry about what anyone does to you? You're just always at peace. How come you have such a good big picture of what life is all about? How come you're always sharing what you have and not worrying about what you can put in your own pocket? I mean, all these basic messages that the Quran highlights and you know, how come you're so such a real person? How come when I, when I sit with you, I feel like I'm a real human being, etc., etc.? All of that should, these are the characteristics that people should be pointing out and saying, where did that come from? Where did you learn that? Who did you sit with? And then it should be very evident. It's actually the Quran. That is the way by which we become the carriers of this deen. You can't, I know in this day and age, the most convenient thing, let's see how many Qur'ans we can print and how many places we can put them. That doesn't do, that doesn't fulfill the mandate of what we are trying to, 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 to do. I'm not saying that that's necessarily a bad or a good thing. That's a separate discussion. But the point remains, I mean, just to take a physical manuscript and place it in a, in a, in a bunch of places and assume that people are somehow going to pick it up and it's going to effectuate a change in them, that's far-reaching and unlikely. 
What's much more likely is that we bring the change in ourselves. We begin to radiate that change. And in the context of that radiation, people begin to feel benefit and they begin to get attracted to us. Now, in this day and age, because of the time and place and circumstances in which we exist, it becomes only that much more important. Because who knows what's going on in our families and how we're trying to maintain them. We have children, we're trying to maintain them. We have nephews and nieces, we're trying to maintain them. We have mothers and aunts and uncles, we're trying to maintain them. We have spouses, we're trying to maintain them. We have all these responsibilities and the easiest way, what are you supposed to do? Give 50 copies of the Quran to every single person you know and then vast majority of them are just going to put it on their shelf anyway? Or we can inculcate that 50 times, put all our energy and effort into creating a heart that is emanating the Quran and then anybody who comes in, t- in touch with us, whether it be our co-workers, our spouses, our children, our nieces, our aunts, our nephews, they will be affected by that Qur'an. Otherwise stated, the only Qur'an that the vast majority of people are going to read today is you. That is the Qur'an that people are going to read. Now, maybe, I mean, hopefully the idea is that by interacting with us, by interacting with us, people will be motivated and moved And then they'll want to go back to the source. Now imagine if a person interacts with you and you've inculcated the Quran in your life and then the person says, wow, that's something special. I was really touched by my time with you. I would like to have a piece of that. And then they go and read the Quran. That would be a true recitation. That's the person that's actually going to benefit. But whose court is the ball in? The ball's not in their court. I gave you a, a copy of a 600-page uh, book, and you did you read it, and why didn't it change you? Obviously, you must be ha- having a hard heart. Th- th- what is that? It should be that we practice the Qur'an, we live the Qur'an, we, emu- uh, we emulate the concepts of the Qur'an, the lessons of the Qur'an, the, the, the main, um, the main uh, guidance of the Qur'an, and then... Because of the change that it causes within us, people are naturally see us as something different, something unique, some something special. And then because of that, they want to interact with the Quran. Now, there's another angle to this. The other angle to this is that if we recognize that we're weak in our recitation, now I told you that, like I said, if a person wants to change and make a difference in their life and become someone really different and unique, it has to come through the Qur'an. That is the means by which we achieve that goal. But let's just say for a minute that we want to achieve that goal, but we're not able to because of our own laziness. Let's just say that that circumstance exists for a minute. If we want to achieve that goal, but we cannot achieve that goal because of our own laziness, then the backup to that, and perhaps... The, the adjuvant to that, okay, is that we should find the people who do emulate the Qur'an, who's, in whose company we are reminded of the principles of the Qur'an. Because then, by sitting with them, we get a silent benefit. Yes, it's not as good as picking it up and reciting it and interacting with it and develop, uh, developing a depth with it. But we still get the benefit of it being recited to us as a physical example. 
So that's why you'll see that, you know, if you look at the, the stack of, um, uh, of, uh, of advices that we've been sharing, once a person makes Baya and then the person actually wants to make an effort to achieving the goals of that Baya, you know, we say, okay, recitation of the Qur'an, company of the Mashayikh. Okay, so this recitation of the Qur'an, okay, recitation of Qur'an, company of the Mashayikh, inculcating of the Sunnah. Right? These three things, in essence, they're all tied together. Because when a person recites the Qur'an, they benefit. When a person sits in the company of the Mashayikh, they're actually benefiting from the Qur'an. When a person emulates the Sunnah, they're actually following the actions of the person who was affected by the Qur'an and therefore established a, um, a set of deeds based on that deep interaction with the Qur'an and that cognizance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which is basically the Sunnah. The sunnah is not the name of a bunch of random acts that a person happened to do 1400 years ago. The sunnah is the name of a concerted effort made by an individual upon whose heart the Qur'an was revealed and who was in constant uh, remembrance of their Lord. That's what makes the sunnah valuable. It's not just the random acts of 1400 years ago that are restricted to a time and place. It's a series of acts of an individual who was deeply connected to their Lord which then spanned beyond that time and place. Otherwise, they would have been restricted to that time 1,400 years ago, and we would bury them at that, when, when that, when that uh, lifestyle was buried. But the, the mechanism of interaction of Rasulullah, the depth in his salah, the depth in his ibadah, the self-sacrifice, the desire to benefit others, the happiness and hope that he exhibited in, in, in his interactions with his family members and community and Muslims and non-Muslims. I mean, why does that remain a goal? Why does that remain an aspiration? Why didn't that go with the civilization that it existed in? Why isn't it c- contained by that? Because it's beyond that. It's, it's actually the actions of a person who was in love with their Lord and wanted to attract the attention of their Lord and had a chain of prophets upon whose path he was walking for centuries before. So these three things, although we, we mentioned them separately, they all tie in together. Recitation of Quran, company of the Mashaykh, inculcation of the Sunnah, all of these, they tie in together in, in, in one way. And they're different, but they also have a very interesting um, similarity, a very interesting thread that ties them together. And that is the interaction with the Qur'an. So we have to make a very, very concerted, very, very um, determined and concerted effort in order to make sure that we're regularly interacting with Qur'an. We should value the Qur'an, we should look up to the Qur'an. We should wish, at the least, we should wish that we could develop a relationship with the Qur'an. We should try to um, memorize it and solidify it in our hearts. We should encourage our children to learn it. We should spend time in the company of people who are learning it. We should do everything we can to raise it. Even if it means just sitting in the company of the people who are modeling it. And just sitting with them. And just, you know, comfortably relaxing. You can, a person can still benefit even like that. But one thing I want to make very, very clear, which over the last few weeks we've made a very, very uh, detailed discussion on renewing ourselves and seeking to reconnect with our Lord. But after that, like I said so many times, that is a first step. After that, the expectation is that there be an interaction with Qur'an. 
So anyone in this room who desires to progress on this path, that has to exist. That has to exist. You cannot take a class without a textbook. That is that that that's you know that is the book. I mean, there's an assigned book. There's assigned readings. Everything is coming from there. The test is coming from there. Chapter one. It's going to be from the book. So the book has been given to us, and it's not difficult. It's very easy for the one that actually wants to interact with it, and it has so many unique facets to it that we can't even begin to describe them. We ask that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us among those who are constantly seeking to renew themselves. We ask that He make us among those who are consistent in our, in our interaction with the Qur'an. We ask that He keep us amongst us uh, people who are deep in their Qur'an. And we ask that He allow us to remain in their company. Wa akhru ta'wana anilhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.